Hello, welcome to the first FMLM podcast. My name is Angus Waite. I'm the Head of Engagement and Innovation at the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management. And I'm delighted to introduce this first podcast, which features a discussion between Hannah Baird and Kathy McDonald. Hannah is the chair of the FMLM Trainee Steering Group and is herself an emergency medicine trainee. She'll be discussing the challenges of communicating with patients and colleagues at this particular time with Cathy MacDonald. Cathy is a former Police Scotland hostage negotiator. Cathy has many years of experience behind her in the area of communicating at times of crisis, as well as in training and passing on the skills that she developed over the course of a 30-year career in this space. So before we get stuck in, do make sure you subscribe to FMLM wherever you get your podcast. We will be producing more of these over the coming months. And I should say that this podcast was recorded in May 2020. So you'll hear a bit more from me at the end of the conversation between Cathy and Hannah. Um, But let's start with you, Cathy. It would be great to hear a bit more about your experience in this area and how the communication skills that you picked up as a hostage negotiator could be helpful for a clinician like Hannah. Sure, and uh, firstly, thank you very much for asking me to come along and speak. Any opportunity to share this amazing world of communication and human behaviour, I'm delighted to do it. Um, I was um, policing for over 30 years, and a massive part of that, as you've already said, was within hostage and crisis negotiation. And um, if you if you take away the name of that, it basically means communication. It's how do we communicate with other people and influence in a way that's positive with positive outcomes. And I would describe us as probably communicating at the sharp end. Um, and yet a lot of the communication uh, structure and tactics we used have been tried and tested. And I've tried and tested them myself so that it comes from... Um, yeah, uh, a few sleepless nights, I have to say, a lot of grey hairs, a few extra wrinkles, and I'm glad that this is audio and not um, <laughs> video that's going out. <laughs> but um, on the, the, the serious side of it is that there's a whole load of stuff in there that, that um, is incredibly transferable to every walk of life. And if you think of it, communicating at the sharp end um, is an entirely valid title to call this for yourselves within the medical profession. And you've probably never been at a sharper end as a, a um, you know, as a whole profession globally as you are now with COVID-19. So I guess um, there, uh, there are so many elements that I could share with you about that, that may be able to help. And, I, and I'm very lucky to have worked quite a lot with your um, colleagues over the last few years prior to lockdown. Um, So I have a little thought of what I'd like to share, but I think probably the best thing, I know time is tight, is that if Hannah, if I could take my lead from Hannah, she represents all of you more than I ever will. And if she basically can tell me what would be beneficial to know, then I'll angle what what I share towards that. And that might be better than me just telling you what I think you want to know. How does that sound? Great, thank you, um, Cathy, um, and thank you again for um, inviting me onto the, this podcast. Um, you've obviously got so much um, experience um, in this area. I think, as a clinician at the moment, the communication challenges were not necessarily the things that we originally thought about um, when all of this started. You know, kicking off. I think the process. Um, things took over. So people were very, uh, you know, quick to think about how do we physically accommodate uh, patients? 
how are we going to you know manage this from a clinical standpoint you know what what can we learn because everything has been so new certainly from my perspective communicating with patients within our teams and with relatives wasn't necessarily the thing that we planned mm-hmm. um, but actually has been I personally feel probably one of the biggest challenges um, and everything that we are trained and all you know we have huge amounts of communication um, training within medical school and then you know through our postgraduate uh, training as well um, and then huge amounts of you know very experiential uh, learning from that as well but all of that has ha- kind of been thrown on its head because we spend so much time talking about um, you know our facial expressions um, our non-verbal communication and then suddenly we're communicating with patients but we have a physical barrier between us of PPE um, and that's is one particular challenge. So I'd be really interested in kind of talking maybe a little bit about that. Well, if we touch on that now, because if we end up with a list, we'll, we'll touch on some things and not. But I think the, the, the relevant thing um, to say here is that the teaching you've had about facial expressions and non-verbal communication is important because if you think of it, the best communication you can get isn't just from what we say, but it's what we read in each other from uh, non-verbal cues pace, pitch and tone, the environment, the context. And the best communication is when you're in a room with someone. You can pick up all the clues. You can pick up everything and the energy that it brings. Start peeling back any one of these layers and your communication ability deteriorates. And what you're describing there is you're, even if you're in the same room as someone, there's actually a barrier now that's preventing and maybe is even quite fearful for some people to see the PPE gear and what that represents to them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's valid to say that you, yeah, you're going to need some extra little tactics to help get over that. And um, something that's helpful is if you can normalize and what you have is the whole world on your side here because COVID is a global thing. Everybody's having to adjust. So you can use that as an excuse. Um, and then that allows people to see beyond the barrier. But you need to help them with that. So stock phrases that you might be able to use, and I'd be surprised if you're not already using them, is just, you know, I know that I have a mask on, and I know this is quite, you know, can be quite scary, but look beyond there. Um, luckily, when we smile, um, a real smile smiles in the eyes as well. And I know you'll have goggles and things on, but people will see that. Um, but it's painting a picture and letting people know to see beyond that, that this is normal and it doesn't represent the fear that, you know, that they maybe feel. And being able to read someone else's reaction to you. Um, if you think of it, um, Hannah, when you met a patient for the first time and you were in PPE gear, um, maybe their reaction is different than it would have been three or four days later when they're accustomed to the way that you look. And it's really helping somebody over that first hurdle and not letting the barriers represent what they fear uh, the barriers could be. So normalising a lot of things will actually be quite helpful to you. Um, The other barriers, I guess, that you may have is that suddenly dealing with families, you're no longer going to be face to face with them in the ward beside the patient. You're going to have to deal with families by phone, I don't know if video conferencing is something you use for them, but by phone, you're suddenly, you're not in the room, the energy's away, the visual's away, and all that you're left with is taste, pitch, and tone of your voice. And um, therefore, that can add to the complication as well. So I guess, in short, what I'm saying is your um, concerns are valid, but there are little tactics we can speak about that might be able to help. Mm-hmm. So I think that bit about that you mentioned about family communication is um, probably the most uh, challenging thing, um, certainly that I found um, in the recent weeks. Um, 
in kind of two different aspects really so firstly um you know speaking to people that you have never met about quite serious conversations you know we obviously are used to phoning uh, family at home but prior to covid there's always been quite limited information we've been able to give out which is always in some ways kind of protecting us from needing to have those you know difficult yeah. conversations over the phone because we've as much as possible asked patients to to come in um and a lot of the time when we do do telephone uh, consultations or calls it's to gather information rather than to disseminate information um, and what we're finding now is that we are having to update families but have really difficult and challenging conversations over the phone often around resuscitation status and escalation of patients and whether they'd be suitable uh, for intensive care um, and then on occasion breaking bad news over the phone and it's something on a kind of personal level I've just found incredibly challenging um, you tend to find that you've you know people react obviously in completely different ways so you either get a huge amount of information and uh, the patient's relatives is talking to you know, for kind of straight 10 minutes and you're trying to process everything or actually they're very quiet and introverted and you're struggling to get much information and much dialogue going which again creates the anxiety of are they really understanding what I'm saying here mm-hmm. Okay, um, well, something that I suppose is important to highlight, um, uh, emotion is a massive foundation of every communication exchange. And if you think of it, the way that you feel dictates so much. So emotion impacts on our desire or our ability to hear. So the higher our emotion, the less effective our hearing is going to be. It impacts on our pace, pitch and tone, on the words that we choose, our non-verbal language, the ability for us to think clearly. It's all influenced by emotion and where we are. So within our old world, we always paid attention to emotion first. That needs managed. That needs managed first. We used to have a phrase that just says, "Let them vent. Don't don't shut anybody up. Just let them vent." And when they're venting, we listen intently and we listen for three very key things. One is information, the stuff. Two is the emotion, so we can identify how they feel and the intensity of it. And three are the clues that tell you what's really important to that person. And the more emotional they are, the more clues they will throw out to you. Um, If we have time, I can give you little examples of that. But the bottom line is when somebody's emotional, if you can control your own emotion and listen intently, you'll get far more information within that emotional vent from them than if they were calm. And you would maybe, maybe actually save you the length of a phone call. Now, the important thing is until that person is calm, there's nothing that you're going to be able to say that they will really take in and they'll absorb. So the first thing, my suggestion is, is manage the emotion of whatever you get at the end of the phone. Um, there are, there's something that I'd like to share. We're going to come right back to this, so I won't lose sight of it, but there's something I'd like to share with you. Um, and the, uh, I used it for every negotiation. I still use it daily for self-management, for working with teams. And I, I share it um, as one of probably the most important things that we used within negotiation. And they're called core emotional concerns. And in the 80s and 90s, there were two um, psychologists attached to the Harvard Negotiation Project, um, Shapiro and Fisher. And they highlighted that there are five things that we require as human beings to be calm and balanced. And one of them is appreciation. So we need to feel valued for what we do by the people who we expect to acknowledge, you know, the the work that we're doing and what we're, you know, we're about. And you just have to think of a time where you felt undervalued at work. 
and I'm sure there's a bit of that in in recent weeks, and how you feel about it impacts on your emotion, and then that emotion impacts on your ability or your desire to communicate, and that's just one of them. And emo- uh, sorry, appreciation is one of them. Autonomy, freedom of choice, um, the, our decision making. We need to have a degree of that with, that fits with who I am or who who we all are individually. The next one is affiliation, our connection to others, where we feel safe, where we belong. Quite often that's family, but it can be your working colleagues. It can be your um, your gym. It can be your reading club. It can be anything where you feel that you fit in and you belong. We need that. We need to know our role. So what's my job here? What's my reputation? What do I stand for? And does that get, is when there's clarity around that for you and for the people around you, it makes it keeps us balanced and calm. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, is our status, that we are important for who we are, not for what we do. Um, now, that fits everything from, I walk into a room, I need to be noticed. If I'm not noticed, it'll hurt a bit. If I walk out of a room, I'm missed. As a team, when you're te- if you don't turn up for work, somebody goes, oh, where's Hannah? That's building into a need for status that we're important and a number of other things. So these five things, when they're balanced, we're happy and content. And these can be undermined in many, many ways. They can be undermined by words. Just think of something that somebody said to you that's changed your emotion from being calm to angry. And in fact, if I reflect back, that little article that you wrote, um, uh, Hannah, about when you snapped a patient, well, what that patient said represented something different than the words that they said. And if you look at the core emotional concerns, I suspect it's probably undermined one or more of them. And we can't help ourselves when they're challenged, we change in emotion. So in amongst all of that, if the words can change it, our own beliefs change it, actions believe, you know, can change it, then we've actually got a, a little formula there that can help us manage emotion. So when you're speaking to someone on the phone, you're breaking news to a family and you mentioned there that people have different reactions to it. How can you try and fulfill most of these core emotional concerns with them? And I suspect the key ones will be out of control. They feel that they don't have a say, they feel stuck, they feel trapped within their house, they could feel you know, as if they're a hostage themselves. So anything you can say word-wise that gives them a freedom of choice will help balance their emotion. And then you can speak about what you need to speak about. So um, if, for example, you phone a family uh, or you phone somebody and they are suddenly extremely emotional, then the clues of that is within these five. Now, there'll be other things going on there, but these five give you a quick, ready self-check. And it might be that you can say to them, well, firstly, I hear how much this has hurt. You know, the phone is not, a way that we would choose to to break news like this but you know and I know it's the only way we can so we're both stuck in this situation so connect yourself to them you're both in this it's not just you telling them you're both in this and sharing the something you're forced into um the next thing might be I hear how upset you are I hear that this is the worst news I could possibly have shared do you need a bit of time how can I best help because we've got a lot more things we need to speak about but you tell me what's best for you. Should I call back in five minutes? Do you want time to think? Give them a bit of space, silence in your call, and then let them dictate. By doing that, you will make them feel a bit more appreciated. You will feel that they've got 
bit more say in what's happening. And in a way, you're balancing some of those core emotional concerns that have actually just been thrown in the air and, you know, gone with the wind. They will, if these five things are um, challenged sufficiently, people can go into personal crisis where their normal coping mechanisms no longer serve them well. So the more you can do just with the words, because that's all you have, the more you can say certain things, the easier it will be. And I guess, I want to take a break here just in case there's something you want to ask about that. But within there, there's a thing within the negotiation world we used, which was called a bunch of five. And it was times when we thought we can predict what someone would reasonably, how someone would reasonably react or what someone would reasonably say in a situation. How do we prepare for that now? And we'd have five different ways of thinking how we could respond. And if we practice that, then you will get quite proficient, as I'm sure you already are to a degree. The more of these calls you have to make, the more self-taught tactics you will find. But within there, if you can think of it and you can help your colleagues by saying, well, here's some phrases without them becoming robotic, because they do have to come from you. You're in a caring profession. You guys trouble about, you know, everybody else. So it's from the heart as well as the professional part. But if you can have phrases that you could adapt to your own words that basically say, you know, you, you know, you have control. Um, we're in this. I, I don't want to say we're in this together because it feels so overly used now. But the words do capture the moment perfectly. And um, how can you make them feel important? How can you make them feel a bit more appreciated? Just simply by saying, OK, I, I wanted to take time out to call you properly and and give you time and space to ask any question you want. That would make me feel appreciated in a roundabout way. Mm -hmm. does, does that paint a picture? I don't know whether I've been as clear as I could be with all of that. What, does that paint a picture for you, Hannah? Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Thank you. I think what it makes me think about is actually, you're right, you know, we, when we're trained about in communication um, skills, you know, we think about the the setting, um, we think about, uh, you know, being invited into the conversation, the use of silence. And it kind of felt like at first all of those things when you're doing that over the phone are irrelevant. But actually, that's not true. It's just thinking about them in a slightly different way. So I suppose, as you you know, you kind of alluded to the, the setting even just because we have to do it over the phone. If you're going to have a difficult conversation, maybe taking ourselves away to a place that's a little bit quieter to do that so that we're not interrupted you know, we forget that people can hear around us as well. So even though we're on the phone, they can hear the beeping and the chaos of the department around you, sure. um, which in turn adds kind of stress. So actually maybe taking the time to, to step away where you can. I think that bit about silence is, is really interesting. Again, that's something that when I speak face to face with patients and we're having difficult conversations or breaking bad news, I do you use silence quite a lot? Um, but because you're physically there with them, it's OK. And that's something that, you know, often prompts patients to share a little bit more. Um, but over the phone, a silence feels very, very different. But actually, it still has its its uses. So that's quite useful to know from you, maybe how to, oh, yeah. to use that. Yeah. Silences um, within conversation are essential. As a sideline silence when we're going through a period of change uncertainty or fear is actually one of the worst things <laughs> not within a conversation between for example you and I having the, the moments of silence but silence in general 
people will make of silences what they want. And at the moment, it's full of fear. And which is why it's important that, for example, we see the daily updates on the TV. People have the option to, to listen to them or switch them off, but at least they're there. So the, we can't make ideas about, you know, what's happening. Um, the idea, and for you as a team, even, when there's silence between you as a team, if you're feeling, um, you know, a bit overwhelmed one day and there's nothing but silence, you could create that into a bit that nobody cares nobody's saying anything when that's actually disproportionate um, so it's just as opposed when we're speaking about silence we could maybe look at it in two different ways here silence during communication actual conversation is still as important even if you're on the phone but general silence that's why it's important to chat to each other and make sure we're okay check in with each other that sort of thing at the moment and I suppose that builds more into your team and maybe your management being aware that what they say is actually really important we, we get hungry for information when we're unsure and scared or just when there's change going on. Mm -hmm. Now we're using silence exceptionally well here. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if it went off then. <laughs> That's the oh, other right. thing, the new communication is silence actually that your connections dropped. I suppose just thinking about communication within our teams at the moment, we've talked a bit about you know communication with the, the patients directly with um, relatives. Obviously, a big thing at the moment is we're working in, you know, it kind of feels like one massive team as a country, really. But, you know, mm -hmm. more specifically within, you know, the teams where we are, just physically, again, having the the barriers of um, not being able to be so close to each other. Um, the PPE, again, is kind of creating, you know, difficulties. Um, in how we communicate as teams and actually just you know very much just physically sometimes particularly when we've got quite tight fitting masks on you can't hear people mm. is there anything that you'd kind of give us any tips to kind of overcome those barriers I suppose uh, fitting into what I just said there probably won't be as much chit chat on the wards then you know before you would have a chit chat over a coffee or you'd exchange information and it was very easy to do so because that's not there the silence um, which feels a bit uncomfortable and unnatural, um, just being guarded that you don't make things out of the silence that are unhealthy, particularly mm -hmm. if you're feeling down one day. Being kind to each other and being tolerant is actually the big thing that I would say. And I take that from going back to my old world when we had some really tough negotiations on. And I mean, our longest negotiation was years. And having teams spread out throughout the country and keeping the contact um, it was really important that we were kind to each other. And when emotions grew, that we acknowledged that. And we tried to either self-manage them, acknowledge them, or tolerate them a little bit more. So being kind to each other is probably the easiest thing to say um, to combat that and appreciate that you are what you have in common. If we can concentrate on the similarities, it helps people get on. It connects people. So you actually, you're all in this position with the masks. You're all in this position and not being able to chat the same. You're, you know, it must be frustrating. And within communication, an incredibly major frustration is not being heard, understood or respected. Mm -hmm. Now think of any conversation you've had where you've walked away feeling that person didn't really listen to me. It's really frustrating, isn't it? Mm. When you're in a meeting and you've tried to say a point and it's not been taken on and you leave that meeting and think, what was the point of speaking in that meeting? Nobody listened. It, it's infuriating. So being 
with your PPE gear, especially if you can't hear very well, you are your frustrations are going to build. You're going to have to try to learn to manage that emotion. And therefore, what are the solutions? There'll be people, I, I mean, there'll be creators within your team. There'll be creative people who suddenly have, right, we're writing it up on a board. Here's our 10 most common used phrases in the day and you can just point at one rather than having to try and act it out and end up being a whose line is it anyway contestant you know it, it you know there'll be creativity in there that the this difficulty brings and um, is there anything like that already sparked off hannah yeah so i mean some quite a few uh, initiatives actually prior to um all of this starting particularly around um naming individuals so I'm sure you'll be familiar with the hello my name is um campaign mm-hmm. that Kate Granger um started but from from that there's been um different initiatives around writing names on scrub caps so identify people and um, so we've seen some examples of those kind of move into to this yeah. time um we haven't personally but I've heard of other teams that have um you know worked on kind of how to do silent drills um around maybe intubation and things mm-hmm. may help the concentration but also to reduce the noise level so that when people do speak they can actually be heard so that the the baseline is silence rather than noise if that makes sense yeah um i think what you said before about just being kind to each other um, at the moment i suppose it's it's more about you know what you're communicating uh, rather than particularly how but I think that's really important I think the thing that I've found throughout this time is that everyone is having good and bad days um but we're not all having them at the same time and we're all going to be dealing with lots of different emotional things as you've talked about from you know less so I think six weeks two months in but certainly at the beginning that kind of personal fear um and how that comes across not only actually within our teams but actually to our patients as well you know at the beginning of this you know you were a little bit hesitant to get quite close to to people that you knew were uh, confirmed or suspected um, and how that makes that individual feel um is something to just be mindful of in that you know that's a starter for your communication straight away if you're entering a room and you've pinned yourself two meters away then that's going to already kind of potentially close some discussion down um, but that thing about talking to each other, I think, is actually more about almost sharing that vulnerability, that it's OK that we're all struggling at different times. We may have anxieties. We may not have slept. Um, and by kind of putting that out there, that invites communication within your teams, which actually is probably going to make us all a lot stronger for that simple thing of it's okay everybody is feeling like that it's just that was a really bad day for me yesterday and I'm feeling okay today mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot when you come through something tough with with other people it bonds you and that can be anything from a tough conversation to you know a, a tough experience and you know tough is well that I mean the word doesn't capture the intensity of this situation. But when you come through it, you'll find that there'll be a lot of bonds. One thing you said there about, um, you know, I have to stand two metres from a patient and that's not helpful for um, for communication and so on. It's a highlight, um, a little tactic we used to use call, that I called, I don't know if it's officially the, 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 the title of it, but it's what I call it, is signposting. If you let people know that this doesn't represent what they're, they're worried about. I, I alluded to that a little bit at the beginning. 
for example. Um, now, I know I'm only standing two metres away, but we all know that that's the government guidance and that stands here as well. It doesn't mean I don't care. And it doesn't mean to say that you're, you know, OK, you'll see that I'm getting a little bit upset, but that's because I'm human. It doesn't mean that I can't care for you and that I don't, you know, that I don't want it. Now, being able to humanise yourself with your patients is massively important. As long as it doesn't go beyond the point of credibility, they have to see you as a human, but professional at what you do. So by all means, don't be sad about, you know, the... I'm thinking back, if we just use the situation you reflected on, Hannah, if I may, is that when you, you snapped at a patient who was in a non-COVID area of the hospital who was looking for PPE, well, actually, your staff and your, your, your colleagues didn't have enough. And therefore, actually, no, that's only for this other side of the hospital. Explaining that afterwards, they will see you as a human being. Mm-hmm. As long as there's an explanation, actually, you are just being human at that point. And that's actually very endearing. So actually, I shouldn't have snapped. This is why. And before you know it, it's accepted. All right, you're you're within this together. You're a hum, human being. There's a very connecting thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing we used to have within negotiation. We'd say, you know, don't lose being human. Be human. Put. We'd have a phrase that says, put one shoe in their sh- one foot in their shoes. Don't put both of them in. Just put one foot, so you get an idea of their world and you can connect in some way. But don't go completely naked because you'll lose your credibility. You have to find that balance of mm-hmm. being human but being professional. They have to have confidence in you. Okay. But being the emotional part, explain it away, signpost it. This is because this matters. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting, actually. And think it just made me think about how when we first, when this first started, and um, particularly when people were coming. Um, into to A&E and the patients that were actually quite well and that we were sending home again there was quite a lot of communication challenge around that mainly because at that point unless patients were being admitted we weren't testing them so trying to explain to patients that I think you do have COVID um, but we're not testing and I can't confirm that was quite a challenging conversation and also reassuring them that actually there isn't a huge amount that we can offer because you know as we know now and I think you know people have accepted that but there isn't any particular drug that we're giving a lot of it is just reassurance and that people will be okay and will come through this there are obviously certain things that when a patient presents we're looking for we're checking their oxygen levels we're checking you know that they haven't got a a secondary bacterial infection but the majority of people are absolutely fine but they are understandably anxious um and I think one of the things that I found really helpful is just saying you know we don't have any other information than you in terms of there isn't a secret drug that people are getting that we you're just not getting um and just really trying to I suppose humanize yeah it for people um I found that quite useful and just trying to explain that you know while it's difficult that we're not offering testing at the moment you know ultimately you the say the advice and guidance would be the same if you're showing symptoms you need to to self-isolate etc um, and actually whether you have a positive or a negative test if you're showing symptoms the advice would be the same but just taking the time to talk people through that rationale um because I think it was very difficult for some people coming in wanting to know and we just couldn't 100% say yeah 
but taking the time to explain it in the way that you just did will fulfill a chunk of their core emotional concerns, these five things that they'll need and they'll go away calmer than they were when they, you know, they were originally going to be discharged. Mm. Um, probably one, I know that you're um, wanting to wind up time-wise shortly, but I think one thing that might be worth highlighting is that isolation is something that um, is helpful to listen for. And what I mean by that is um, when somebody says something that makes you feel that they feel alone. Now, it might be just somebody going, am I the only person who thinks this way? Oh, I'm on my own with this one. Or any other flippant remark that basically says, why am I not getting this? Why are they getting it and I'm not? When somebody suggests something that they're on their own and there's fear or sadness or something negative attached to that, in communication terms, the quicker you can wrap the possibility of um, other people around them, the better. Mm -hmm. um, even just saying, I hear, it, it, it sounds like you feel very alone with that. How would you feel if I told you you weren't? How would, I feel, how would you feel if um, three other people said exactly the same thing to me today? Mm -hmm. So by just that response, you're actually telling them they don't have to feel fearful and alone. If, however, you have isolation and somebody's happy about it, leave them on their own because they need to feel important. Hey, I'm, I, uh, it's my birthday today. That's somebody saying, me, 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 it's my birthday today, take notice of me. Somewhere their status, one of these core emotional concerns, needs to be fed a little bit for them to feel good. And therefore, it's, well, happy birthday. Imagine if you said, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday and so-and-so's birthday and so-and-so's birthday. Oh, it would take away the special moment. Yeah. So isolation, listen for isolation and be ready to wrap some comforting dialogue around anyone who seems alone and unhappy and give a bit of praise and reassurance and well done to whoever sounds that they're, they're happy with their isolation. It would be a handy way to finish on if that's helpful. I hope there's some things in there, uh, Hannah, that will be helpful to you and your colleagues. But I'm more than happy to help. If anybody has any really, you know, sticky situations, they want a 10-minute chat, then I'm at your disposal. You know, really, I'm happy to help. Well, thank you both for sharing your experience and knowledge in this area. I think there were some really practical tips there, um, which I know our audience are going to find really useful. Um, Kathy, you mentioned Hannah's recent article for FMLM. Um, you can access that, anyone can access that from the FMLM website. It's called Trainee Leadership on the Frontline. Well worth a read. Um, if you want to read more about the kind of work that Cathy does, you can visit artofcommunication.co.uk. And if you are a trainee, do go to fmlm.ac.uk forward slash trainee. There's a whole load of helpful resources there. Many of them have been produced by the FMLM Trainee Steering Group. So make sure you check them out. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you would like to be part of a supportive network aimed at helping you increase your leadership and management skills, then do consider joining FMLM. You can find more details about that at fmlm.ac.uk forward slash join. So thank you for joining us. Stay well and make sure you tune into our next podcast, which will be discussing complexity. And that will be available next week. Bye bye.